Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Izzy, and I'll be sharing the stories of industry leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs paving a path for future generations to come. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Yellow Brick, which empowers dreamers to achieve their calling. With programs in film, performing arts, streetwear, music, sneakers, and so many more, it's truly taking their students and teaching them their passions, turning their passion into side hustle, and turning their side hustle into careers. So if you're interested, check them out at yellowbrick.co. Honesty Hour. I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started today. What's up, guys? It's your host, Izzy. I have somebody that I'm very excited to share her story, help her share her story today on the podcast. And she is someone that is very influential and someone that is paving a path, which is obviously the the title and the the theme of this season, but she is doing so from West Philly and she's gone all over the world to do this. And it's, it's really excited to have her on today. So, um, I want to introduce Alicia. Alicia, thank you for jumping on. Hi, Izzy. Thank you for having me. And that introduction, oh my God, I'm so honored. Like, (laughs) I love it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I, I love what you're doing with your platform. And, you know, I'm super honored to be a part of this conversation. No, the honor's all mine, honestly. Like, I, you were on one of the, I, I don't know if I told you this before, but um, I have a list, a list of people that I know I can have on. And then I have a dream list. And you were on the dream list. Oh, so wow. uh, <laughs> I appreciate you jumping on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, uh, now I'll stop gushing and I'm going to give you a little, a little, or a few minutes here to kind of introduce yourself for the people who don't know you. Um, I want you to introduce yourself as uh, more personally, but then also professionally. So if you want to go into personally, um, just introduce who you are outside the nine to five and then talk about what you, you do, uh, nine to five. Okay, sure. You know, it's so interesting that you say outside the nine to five, because I feel like the nine to five has become so embedded into who I am, Mm -hmm. because it's my passion. But you know, um, I'm Alicia Pinkney. I'm originally from West Philadelphia. Um, And yeah, that's, that's who I am personally, I really love art and design. And that's how I found my way into my career path, which is now my nine to five. But you know, it's a passion, you know, something that I always love to do is, you know, I'm now doing it as my everyday job. So with that being said, my nine to five is um, I'm a global apparel designer for Timberland based in Switzerland. And I've been here now for the past three and a half years. So that's pretty much a short and sweet, you know, introduction of who I am. I love it. It's uh, 
for the longest time, actually, um, anybody who's listening, I thought she was in everywhere overseas other than Switzerland. Um, so just trying to figure that out. But it's it's really cool seeing someone from West Philly um, just kind of pick up everything and go. And from your journey, we'll get into it a little bit later, but from your journey, you haven't been afraid to kind of say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to bet on myself. And that's something I feel like, uh, a lot of people of color kind of struggle with when they first, that first kind of jump. So Mm -hmm. if you were, if you were talking, if you could talk to anybody that's listening to this podcast right now, Mm-hmm. that is having struggles or is having a problem with just taking that leap or that leap of faith, what would you tell them? Um, I think number one, I would tell them that the sky is not the limit. I feel like, you know, I'm from West Philadelphia and I feel like, you know, in these kind of communities, sometimes you don't know what's out there, what's tangible. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in, you know, situations where I had people you know, who were looking out for me and like connecting me to great experiences that I was able to, you know, have these dreams that I felt in my heart were attainable. I think a lot of times um, people from different areas don't, sometimes they have these big dreams, but they don't see people who look like them who are doing them. So they don't feel that these dreams are actually attainable. So that's why I say, you know, the sky is not the limit, keep dreaming, you know, um, you know, sometimes circumstantially, you aren't meeting the right people. But, you know, just don't give up on what your dream is. You know, if you have a craft right now, focus on it every day. Some point, someone's going to see you and you're, you know, what you're doing, it's going to matter to help you get to wherever you want to get to. The sky is the, not the limit. I, I honestly love, I wrote that down. Um, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because you're growing, like everything growing up, your parents or your mentors or aunts and uncles, whoever it is, always tell you the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's amazing. Um, but when you say you're from West Philly, mm-hmm. always interested in art and design, how did Philly kind of shape you into the influence you into the designer you are today? Wow. So um, I think it's just a bit of family and then also Philly combined together. So um, I come from a family who's creative in so many ways, whether it's through music, whether it's through art. Like my grandfather, he played um, instruments by ear and I kind of trickled down to my sister. You know, she plays the piano by ear. For me, um, my grandfather was also a designer, an artist. Like he painted, he did all these things. My mother's a carpenter, you know, so I'm from a family of people who are kind of in that renaissance mentality, you know. So for me, um, I'm into music, but I decided to really focus more so on the art and design aspect. So um, that's just more of a family bit. But in terms of Philly, you know, I always look at Philly as, um, you know, how they had the Harlem Renaissance era in New York. I feel like, you know, Philly has that prime as well. And a lot of people don't really recognize that from Philly because when you think of like these East Coast cities, you know, New York is that big city. But you got to look at all the talent that came out of, you know, Philly. Like, you know, when you think of Boys to Men, yes, that's in music. But, you know, Philly is so saturated with culture and, you know, culture and the arts and design. And um, I think for me, I've always been surrounded by music. Um, through art, through through all these things. And, you know, I was always encouraged in my family to keep, you know, practicing these things. And, you know, I never, I never let up on that. 
And um, when, as I became like an adult, I was really involved in like the creative scene in Philly, which was like circa 2011 up until like 2000, maybe 13. And in that scene, it was like a really heavy Renaissance era from like artists to designers, to people who had their own streetwear lines, to poetry. And we all kind of like were hustling together. And it's so nice to see how, you know, that was back in 2011. And when you look at people like Babylon Cartel, like Gianni Lee, you know, he came from like that scene, that Philly scene and now what he's doing on a global scale. Like I like to say from Philly to the world because you have a lot of people in that scene like Tiara Wack, you know, she's in the music scene now. Like they all come from that hub of that creative scene from Philly. And there's so many people who are there who are really so talented. So Philly, I always say Philly to the world because, <laughs> you know, Philly for me, I don't know, I love our culture. I love our, you know, the aesthetic that we have. And we really, we work really, really hard. And there's so many talented people in Philly. So that definitely played a huge part in who I am overall as a person. You, uh, the way you rep your city reminds me a lot <laughs> of a previous guest, Jamerson Green um, from Flint, Michigan. Okay. And it's it's interesting because there's passion. There's so much passion behind cities, and there's so much passions behind hometowns. But when you When somebody that's listening doesn't come from a Flip, Michigan, New York, Philly, Chicago, anything like that, what what advice would you give to someone that is growing up in the literally like middle of nowhere Midwest that is really trying to just get into design and, and really doesn't know where to kind of get started? You know, it's funny that you say that because... Um... One of the students that I have um, within my scholarship uh, fund, she was actually just awarded. I had to kind of give this kind of conversation, pep talk to her because she's based in Texas right now and she was she's in design in school. And she was saying that, you know, like you said, there, she's not in a big city. There's not a lot of fashion. It's not diverse, et cetera. And I was telling her, you know, how can you leverage your network, especially because you're in school right now, and see how you can get internships in, like, those areas that you want to be, like whether it's in New York or, you know, in these big cities. So that's number one. I think, you know, really doing some research to see how you can move yourself into that scene. Whether I mean, it doesn't have to be a long-term jump because, you know, that's sometimes that's not always realistic. But say if you found, like, a program that was, like, for two months or three months and you know there's so many um avenues that through the school system or through you know nonprofit programs that those things are accessible it's just about you know doing that research so i think um number one not being discouraged while they're in their hometown continue to do everything that they need to do leverage social media like that's a big thing right now like even though you may be from a small town like you can easily connect with so many people in like the major cities and create mm -hmm. a community in that sense. So we might not be able to be traveling right now, but like, um, you know, I think there's two different approaches, whether you can find an opportunity where you can move yourself for a summer to like a, a big city, or like, you know, if you're in the comfort of your own home, start that community online on Instagram. Like there's so many people that I've met through the community of social media. Like I'm not afraid to slide into DMs and, you know, introduce myself to like-minded creative people who I feel could be like a nice part of my community. So I think, you know, not being stuck and just really using your resources. Like 2020 has given us so many ways to connect with people um, so much more easier than what it's been like, I guess maybe 50 years ago or however many years ago. It's the power of the DM. Uh, yes. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how like, I mean, we're the only reason why we're having this conversation is I sent you a DM. And while you're I'm in 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you're in Switzerland, we're, we're having this conversation right now. And that's the power of not just the DM, but like social media. It's just community building and, and being able to, um, I feel like social media almost gives you that power that even if you're shy in person, you don't have to be, sh- it doesn't matter if you're shy in person. It You can still ask that question without having, or ask for something without having to worry about, oh my gosh, what are they going to say back to me? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think social media is, uh, a massive, I mean, hugely in, uh, influential platform that we can have a lot of fun with if used right. And if yeah. not used right, <laughs> where you're, you're down in the, the, do- the doom scroll, as everyone <laughs> says. Yes. No, I think if, if the key point that you just said, if used right, like social media, the first word is social, like it's there for you to be social. And you know, you do have your community of people on social media who are in that elite, you know, I'm too good to talk to anybody, but we're not worried about y'all. We're creating community. <laughs> we're creating community right here with the people who want to be social, who want to build community, who want to expand and really, you know, expand their network or their friendships or whatever. So I'm, I'm here for it. I support <laughs> well you mentioned internships and you have quite the um without actually having your resume in front of me you have quite the resume um in internships and um i mean going back to high school you're taking college courses do you want to give people a run through of your journey uh how how you how someone gets from west philly to uh being a global apparel designer at timberland in switzerland okay um let me walk you through this. Try not to be long-winded. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> but, so, um, yeah, so I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, I went to John W. Hallahan Catholic Girls High School. And I have to give that a shout-out because they just announced that they're closing the school for good oh, wow. after all these years. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, a private school, uh, all-girls Catholic school in the heart of Philadelphia, like Center City. You know, Mickey Mouse was our mascot. So that's where I spent <laughs> four years of my high school, and it was the best time of my life because there is when I got my first art class. So I've always done art on the side. You know, I got my first sewing machine when I was 11 years old, taught myself how to sew. But like when I was in high school, my art teacher, his name was Mr. Stella. Um, I didn't, I didn't get art on my roster right away because I was, I was a nerd in school. I was like top of my class. I was a math lead. I was like in all these things. So when you have so, so many heavy, heavy um, courses, there's no, there's not that many room there's not that much room for elective like art and you know things of that nature. So I had to really push and push like, hey, I, I literally made a portfolio and like showed it to like um, Mr. Stella, who was the art teacher at the time. Like, hey, I know I don't really have it on my, my schedule because I had these AP courses and you know all these things, but I really want to get into art. So I finally got into art my junior year and my senior year. And, and I think that has been the best thing, like the best part of my journey because from there, um, he, he knew that I was into fashion design and a lot of the um, projects that we were working on, I would do, I would, I would change it a lot into like more of a, a fashion approach kind of thing. I remember I did like a collage of a girl on a runway and um, yeah, I, he just knew that I was into it. So with that being said, he came up to me and he said, um, so I don't know if you're familiar with Philly, but um, Hallahan is in like center city, like the core of Philadelphia. And also in Center City is more College of Art and Design, which was across the street from Hallahan. So um, I didn't know that more college had connections with Hallahan and, you know, also a lot of other high schools. And with that being said, they had a program called Y'all, Young Artists Workshop, where they were um, 
they were given opportunities to high schoolers and even as low as elementary students, um, the opportunity to take these courses over, whether it was over the summer or on weekends during the school year. And he gave me a scholarship to do that. And I was like, oh my Ooh. God, wow. So from there, I, I just felt, I think I was probably like, if I was a junior, I had to be like 15, 16. So I would take like the trolley with my sewing machine. I would get on the, the trolley with my sewing machine to take my courses on the weekend at Moore College in Art, Art and Design. Like I felt so legit. So that course really um, helped me take my home training of what I was doing, like how I taught myself how to sew and really kind of refine it a bit in a sense that we worked on like a project together, like we worked on accessories. Um, and then I took another course where I was doing like fashion illustrations, which was nice to do it at a, at a college level because, you know, in elementary school, I used to always sketch my friends. So I would, um, I remember they would be like, Alicia, can you do this for me? And I would come in the next day with like sketches of my girlfriends because, you know, they, I don't know, I didn't, at that time, I didn't know I was doing fashion sketching. I was literally just sketching my friends in cute outfits. Like that's literally mm. what I would do in elementary school. <laughs> So I have these two things that, you know, were things that I was really passionate about as a kid. And then to take these courses in college kind of made me realize like, wow, I like this. I want to do this. So when I got to like my senior year of high school, my guidance counselor let me know of like the schools in Philly that were housing fashion design. Like, cause you know, if you don't know about what's out there in terms of in that program, you don't know, you think just to only go to New York or whatever. But my, um, my counselor told me about, um, what was the school? Philadelphia University. And when I visited, I was like, oh my God, I love it. I don't even have to leave. I'm here. Like, this is great. So I went to Philly U and um, that was like another great experience. And um, while I was there, I really found my way in the menswear industry. So the way the program is set up is, you know, they teach you every different category from swim to gowns to men's to women's. And um, by the time you get to your, your senior year, you decide what you want to focus on for the full year. So in my heart, I was like, I'm focusing on men's because I had just did like a nice, cool collection the year before. And um, I think from that decision on kind of really sparked where I, like my career and like how I really took my journey. So um, my senior year of um, college, I won like the Excellence in Menswear Design Award based off of the two menswear collections that I did. And I was like, if that's not an answer enough, you know, you know, if that's not an answer, I don't know what it is. Like, this is what my goal is in life. I want to be a menswear designer. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so that was that. Like, that was in college at Philly U. And um, I ended up, uh, I lost my grandfather. He fell victim to murder, like my senior year of college. And um, that kind of really motivated me to start my own brand. So I started my own brand um, my senior year of college dedicated to my grandfather. And I think it was just, I was already in that momentum of, you know, I just received this excellent in menswear design award. And, um, you know, wow, like, unfortunately, this thing happened to my family. But, you know, I'm a very positive person. I always try to find a way to cope with things in a in a better manner. Um, obviously, I grieved and, you know, still is a tough thing, you know, thinking back seven years ago. But um, I created a menswear line. And from there, you know, I really upped my network. So I didn't have a, a job right away outside of school, but I was focusing on my collection. I did Philly Fashion Week, like multiple seasons. And then um, I did New York Fashion Week. Um, I got flew out um, to Miami through uh, by Cotton, Cotton Incorporated. I don't know if you know um, that slogan, the fabric of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so that company flew me out to show my menswear on like a 24 hour fashion, um, fashion runway, like, 
in Miami. And I was like, wow. So it was all these things that were happening that was really Damn. defining like, wow, this is what I want to do in my life. Um, and then I ended up getting a job eventually at PVH in New York. Um, I mean, just to backtrack a bit from that, when I was in college, I did have an internship with Calvin Klein. Um, so I had a taste of what it was like to live in New York. So then I, you know, I actually got the job at PVH in New York and I was working there for a bit. It was, it was like a, um, temp to permanent kind of job, which you find a lot in this industry. So, um, by time, like the four months got towards like, okay, I need to make this temporary role become permanent. <laughs> they didn't have hit count. And, you know, the people I was working with, they were so disappointed because it wasn't in their control. So they were really sending me around the whole entire company, introducing me to directors like, hey, can we find a spot for her in this company? And, you know, obviously it wasn't meant to be because um, I didn't get I didn't get the job. And I found myself back in Philly. Um, I auditioned for Project Runway, made it to like the final rounds of um of like the audition tapes, like where I met Mondo. They had like the microphone on me. I was like, really like, oh, this is legit. But um, I remember in that time, I remember being 23 and they said to me, you know, you, you, you're not going to make it this time, but you should try again in a year. And that was the second time that someone said something to me in that year, my Jordan year, I was 23. And that was the second time that someone like this big endeavor that I had said, oh, you made it this far, but mm, you should try again in a year. So all these no's, I'm like, all right, this is for a reason. So I went to London and Paris for the first time. It's just like a vacation trip for myself. Um, I saved up to like really celebrate graduating from school. So I went like a year later. And when I went, you know, I was like, wow, I really love it here. So like I set up an interview with um, London College of Art and Design because I was like, okay, maybe I can move over here if I go to school, you know, hmm, school or a job, I don't know. So. By the time I got back to America, um, I was like, I already had in my head, okay, maybe I'll apply for schools because I wasn't planning to get my master's degree. It just wasn't in the cards. But I wanted to, I wanted to leave America. <laughs> so <laughs> with that being said, um, before I could apply for the London school, I saw another school in Italy um, pop up with a quick, with a sooner deadline, and this deadline was attached to a scholarship by um, Volga Italia. So I was like, all right, let me apply for this. So I applied for this with the intentions to apply for London right after. But by the time I could even apply for the London or the London school, I found out that I won first place scholarship on this global, this global scholarship sponsored by Vogue. And I'm like, wow, I, I remember crying so bad. And my, my boss at the time, um, I was working for a startup called um, Women's Business Development Center which helps women who are trying to be entrepreneurs. So it was just crazy how everything that I've done has served a specific purpose in my life. But I remember when I was working there, she was so supportive of everything I was doing. You know, She would let me take off when I needed to go to New York for the Project One Way thing, um, et cetera. So when she found out that I won a scholarship, I was crying. And she was like, why are you crying, Alicia? And I was like, I didn't think I was good enough. Like, this is a global scholarship. People from Asia, from Europe, from America are applying are applying for this scholarship. And here I am, a girl from West Philly who applied off the strength, who just decided she wants to move abroad and won first place. Not only did I win, it was the first place prize. So I was like, wow, like, look at that. Look at God. Like, wow. I, I just could. I was so blown away. So that yes. was October of 2014. And I can say from October 2014 till now, it's been such a change. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were going to say something. No, it, before we get too far, it's it's crazy how <laughs> you 
I just want to go before we get into from October 2014 till now. <laughs> what what was going through your head when you were? I, I wouldn't call them failures, but I, you just kept getting told no or try again later like what was going through your head at that point you know i i feel like i'm a very i'm a firm believer of everything happens for a reason and then also at the same time i feel like i know my worth well i don't feel like i know i know my worth and i knew at that time like i knew what i had to offer and for me i i like to make this analogy compared to the hulk I guess like whenever whenever I got rejected, you know, whether it's personally or career wise, I use that to really fuel me, but not in an angry way like the Hulk. But just imagine, you know, every time I get rejected, just getting bigger and bigger, like, no, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, it, it inspired me. I don't know why that was like a, a fuel for me. Like every time I got rejected, I was like, I'm, I literally would go home and lock myself in a room and work 10 times harder. It was a motivation for me. Like, oh, OK, say no to me. Watch watch, you're going to regret that no. Like, I, I don't know, it really fueled me to have all these no's. And I think a lot of people um, think that it's always like an easy journey of yes, 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 yes. But no, those no's are important because they're putting you, um, they're, they're reshifting your focus into a journey that you didn't even know was attainable. Like, had I thought that I was going to make it onto Project Runway, like, my life probably wouldn't be here right now. You know, there's so many different avenues that my life could have went had I gotten a yes in some of these places. If I got that yes at PVH um, in 2000, what was that, 2013, you know, I would have probably still been there or at another company. I don't know. It's just all these things that these no's really opened doors for me that I did what, probably didn't know to think to open these doors. <laughs> That's it's it's crazy how how the the no's really shape you at the end of the day and shape your your career path and. But I think what people that are listening are struggling with is sometimes, I mean, most of the time they've been told no, like they, mm -hmm. I never studied sneakers until because my parents, my family, everybody who was, I wouldn't even really say my parents, but people around me always told me there's no money in sneakers. There's no mm -hmm. money in that. And everybody wanted me, Hey, go out and go be a lawyer or go be a doctor. <laughs> And I'm like, wait, uh, my 2.5 GPA is not going to allow me to be any good doctor whatsoever. But it's it's just interesting to hear how many no's people receive and how how much bigger, like you say, uh, how much bigger that made you and how much how much of a fire that lit under you. So from 2013, I think we're 2013 or 2014, 2014, <laughs> from 2014 to now. Okay. You went from Italy to Timberland. Talk yes. about that journey a little bit. Okay. So 2014 October is when I found out that I had three months to pack up my life and move to Italy. And I was like, all right, cool. So um, January 2015, I moved to Italy, got my master's for a year. Um, I stayed after, um, after a year working with Stone Island and BMW Group. Um, just to really prolong my stay. I was teaching like English to Italian students because I was just really trying to stay. But um, at that point, um, I don't know how old I was. I can't even do the math right now. I, was in, I know I was like probably 25 or something. Um, but at that point, I knew I needed like a, an actual full-time job that wasn't freelance because, you know, I had loans, you know, and I'm also a very independent person. Like I like to sponsor myself. I didn't want to go back home and live at home. So um, I think that was also a fuel for me too. Like, I know I like to, you know, I want to make my own money kind of thing. So I'm going to work as hard as I can so I don't have to go back home. 
Um, so with that being said, I applied to a job at Reebok, which was specifically um, Adidas Sports Licensing Division. So um, at that time, the Sports Licensing Division was at the Reebok headquarters in Boston. So I applied for that job and um, literally, like I didn't wanna move back to America, I cried, cause I knew that after I had that interview that they really liked me. You know how you can just tell when you're on the phone with somebody like, oh snap, I think they might offer me the job. Like I feel like I've been through so many interviews in my life that I know when, you know, it's gonna go good and when it's gonna go bad. And at that point I could test, you know, I could see the temperature of the room that, oh, they want me. And lo and behold, like literally, I guess like two days later, I was moving into my temporary apartment in Italy because at that point that year, I was trying to find reasons to stay. So I didn't have like a long-term lease apartment. I kept getting small leases, like two months, three months, et cetera. So as I was moving into my next apartment, literally as I was putting the key in my door with my suitcase, I got an email from Adidas SLD offering me a job. And I was like, oh my God. So like, I was so sad because I didn't want to move back home because police brutality was heightened at that time. This was 2016. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, well, Alicia, get over yourself. Like, this is a blessing. Um, you know, it's a job and it's at Adidas. Like, you better go. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I moved back to um, America, August 2016. And I started work at um, Adidas Sports Licensing Division in Boston, literally a week later. So I had a week to adjust from living in Italy for two years, coming back to America for a week, I picked up my stuff in Philly really quickly, and then I moved to a new state in Boston. So there, you know, um, that was a journey in and of itself because as soon as I got there, you know, um, we had a new president at Adidas and they just announced that my department would have to move over to the, the Portland office. Because when you think about it, you know, Reebok headquarters was Reebok, but then they had that Adidas licensing, sports licensing division sitting in there in the Boston office. So when this new president came, he wanted to separate it where he was gonna keep Reebok here on the East Coast and then put um, Adidas back with Portland, you know, so it can be a bit more structured in that sense. So when they made that announcement, it wasn't an easy fix, like, oh, we're gonna pick up all these people and move them over, um, which you, they realized in the end that they needed to keep some of the people because people like my manager at the time, he had a good relation with the NHL. So in that department, we were designing for like the NHL, the hockey team, you know, we, mm -hmm. we switched over the, the hockey jerseys from Reebok to Adidas branded. So we were really, those relationships were really important. Like, you know, so they couldn't just, oh, we're just gonna hire new people. But at that point, I just got to the job and I'm like, they're not checking for me. Like nobody is sitting here thinking to move me over. Even though my team thought I was amazing, I knew at the end of the day, they weren't prioritizing my move. So just at the same time, you know, um, Timberland was going through a shift where they were moving their design apparel office from London to Switzerland. And with that being said, a guy that I met maybe two years prior, um, he was in a different role when I met him um, when I was living in Italy. And I did like a small project for them. Um, fast forward to two years later, he reached out to me and was like, and he knew that I had just moved back to America. He had no idea about the transition that was happening in my company. But he was like, hey, Alicia, you know, um, we're, start, we're building a new team here in Switzerland. The team is moving from London. You know, if you're interested in moving back overseas, you should apply. I was like, all right. I just found out we all losing our jobs, basically. Why not? I didn't want to come home anyway. Why not? <laughs> So I applied for like maybe three positions, which HR probably like, this girl is crazy. She do not know what she want <laughs> because you typically apply for a job, like one job. Yeah. I applied for three different roles and um, they all, you know, HR got back to me, set up an interview right after. And, you know, I was nervous in that meeting because I'm like, you know, this is like a normal interview. Like, oh, my God. 
And um, I remember being so um, really anxious about, oh my God, I wonder if these guys have seen that project that I did for them two years ago. Maybe I should pull it up. But before I could even mention that, the guys that I was interviewing with, who's now like, you know, I've been working with them for, for three and a half years now. They were like, um, yeah, our boss uh, showed us your um, your project that you did for us two years ago. And we loved it. And I was like, first of all, this man has my project from two years ago. Wow. <laughs> and then, you know, that kind of set the tone that, oh, wow, these guys like me. And, you know, of course, I asked my typical questions like, OK, so what to expect? When would I hear back from you guys? And they were like, just at this point, they were just smiling at me. And they were like, well, Alicia, our boss loves you. So and they kind of left it open ended like that. So literally two days later, they got it. They made me an offer and um, mm -hmm. I found out I was moving to Switzerland. So that was in 2017. And, um, you know, I moved from Boston to Philly for like a month and a half while they were getting my visa together, um, which was a stressful time. I'm like, crap, it's hard to get a visa in Switzerland. Is it taking so long because they're not really giving me a job? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was so stressed. But, you know, I end up. It was good that it ended up taking that long because remember I told you I moved from Italy straight to Boston. I didn't have time to really go back and be with my family in Philly after being in Italy for two years. So that downtime that I had while I was waiting for that visa was really something that I really appreciate that you don't really get that much while you're working in corporate. So um, yeah, that's that's been my journey. And uh, that was July 2017 when I made the official move over to Switzerland. And now it's been three and a half years. and. Um, you know, I've grown so much within this role. Um, my role has changed so much. I was recently promoted to a bigger role, which I'm just like, wow, this is a blessing. So yeah, that's been my journey of how I got to Switzerland. It was a long one, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think what is the craziest thing about your journey, and you told me the, the journey piece beforehand, and I'm still in awe of it, is the fact that you aren't afraid to kind of just take that leap. And we hit on that earlier, but it's just, it's so important that you had the, while you might, you might've had that a little bit of imposters, imposter syndrome going on. You didn't mm -hmm. allow that to take, th take that over you or take that. Overtake you me. Allow, you yeah, didn't allow you that go. to overtake you. <laughs> there you go. You didn't allow that to overtake you. Um, and you decided, Hey, I'm just going to jump into it. And, and do what you need to do. And I, th I think that if anybody's listening right now, that's something that um, if you can take away one thing from this episode, I would definitely say to not allow imposter syndrome to overtake you. There you go. I did it. I did it. Yes. Right that time. Um, <laughs> no, I love that. You, you have worked on a lot of things at Timberland. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do want to hit on one, um, but then I also want to hit on a few more. But the first one is very, very, uh, uh, I guess, millennial of me. Uh, <laughs> you were very influential in the SpongeBob collaboration yes. on the apparel side. So yes. why was that? Um, how was how was that collaboration kind of received from the Switzerland end? And then um, how were the, what did you have to do um, in your role uh, with the collaboration? Okay, so. Um... You know, Timberland, we're a global product brand. You know, we design into, you know, Europe, Asia, um, America, and that's my role. You know, a lot of sometimes designers only design into one specific market, but my my role literally, we, we cater to every market. So with that specific SpongeBob collection, we wanted to gear it towards North America because obviously, you know, North Americans have 
you know, the best connection with SpongeBob. So with that being said, you know, you know, the footwear side of things, footwear does any and everything to that six inch yellow boot. Like when you, you think of anything in the world, the footwear team has probably done a collaboration. So it's kind of a given that, you know, they were probably going to do a SpongeBob thing. And um, it's, it's crazy because it was so unfortunate because I think during that time we found out we were going to do the collaboration way before um, the, uh, I forget his name, the guy who wrote SpongeBob passed away. So, um, and it just so happened that it was going to go to market during that time when we were all like grieving this guy who was a part of our childhood passing away. So, um, with that being said, um, we were working on this for a while. My footwear counterpart had, you know, created two different boots, the black one and the blue one that you saw on the market. And, um, what I love about my role is I love really merchandising and working together with the footwear team to do a product or an apparel product that's going to really sit back to that. So um, I was just, you know, I worked on the whole entire collection. I, I That collection consisted of a coach jacket, um, a hoodie, and a couple of tees. And with that being said, I designed, like, that whole range. And, um, you know, we had to work with Nickelodeon for, like, the certain rights of what, you know, what graphics we were allowed to use. And it was just so nice to have that tie back to a footwear piece to really do, like, a, I guess you would say, a, I, I hate to say it, but a head-to-toe look, you know, yeah. um, that would really match up. So um, I had so much fun on that because I am the only American on my team. So when they got that brief, you know, because we get regional briefs from people in Asia and Europe and then also North America. So when we got that brief from the Americas, right, it's coming into the Switzerland office and I'm the only American on the team. So I remember my director at the time was like, he was so concerned about it. He was like, now Alicia, he came up to me. And mind you, at this time, I wasn't even in the role that I'm in right now. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter titles. But, you know, people respect mm-hmm. you either way. But he was like, Alicia, you know, why again are we doing this? Does this make sense? And I'm like, trust me, we need to be doing this. Like, you know, people my age, that millennial culture, like we grew up on SpongeBob and we we yep. buy into nostalgia. So if we don't do this. That's an issue. So, you know, they believed me and then we did it. And then like literally it sold out online. And, I'm, and I remember going back to them like, see, y'all, it may sound bonkers, <laughs> you know, people judge Americans and our taste. But, you know, we we have our certain like even with the whole revamp of the Fresh Prince reunion, like all these things tie back to that millennial consumer. You know, we love nostalgic things and to be a millennial and to design into that. It was so cozy and close to home, you know, because I'm I'm here advocating for, you know, I know Americans are going to want to see this. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, it goes to show you and you hit on this in the conversation before. Um, it goes to show you how important diversity and mm-hmm. it is within teams. So what what does Timberland do differently uh, in compared to the roles that you've had in, in your in your past um, that's allowed them to have so much success for situations like this SpongeBob collab or other situations? I think um, at the end of the day, just to be really honest and transparent, everywhere I've been in my life, whether it's big companies or in my school, I have been that only black girl on these teams or in these rooms, you know what I mean? So, you know, I think we still have a problem in this industry where it needs to still be diversified. Like I would love to turn around one day and have another black person on my team, you know, but that hasn't been my reality. But Mm -hmm. I can say what Timberland does is, um, you know, I think I remember telling you early on in the story that, you know, that guy who reached out to me was tasked with creating a totally new team based in Switzerland. And, you know, I was their first hire. And after that, they hired someone from Spain, someone from Sweden, from the UK, Italy. So we end up having a very eclectic um, team in terms of nationalities. 
And I think at that point, we kind of all really respected each other in the sense that we were the only brand at that time within the VF building um, that had such an international team. So we kind of all thrived off of that internationality in the first place. So I think we've always had that respect of, you know, other people's culture, like to the point where we would do like little gatherings, like, oh, let's go to her apartment for a Swedish aperitivo. We were really into each other's cultures, you know what I mean? Or we are still. Mm -hmm. So I think that alone is a testament to why we were able to leverage, because they're smart, you know? If we are working on American product, we need to tap into what the American girl knows, you know? So Timberland's really good at that. And um, I think that's their strong point, just really leveraging the internationality that we have on our team. You've you've been at Timberland for a bit now and you've grown. Obviously, you've grown professionally, but you've also grown um, in uh, personally. Uh, you have a personal brand. You have things that you're working on uh, on the side uh, from Timberland. And you mentioned that you have a scholarship program earlier in, in the show. And I'm I really want to hit on that. So what is the scholarship scholarship program? Who's eligible? And what's what's your passionate passion behind it? Okay, so my scholarship is the Black Talent in Design and Fashion Fund. And um, I literally created that scholarship. Um, it was an idea. It was a concept in June. I legalized it in August of this year. October, we were able to award um, seven students. And with most recently with our big partnership from Target Corporation, and um, Lilith Footwear in New York, now we'll be able to award 10 more students this year alone. So just to give you a bit of a background of what it is, so the scholarship is supposed to really address, for me, I feel like there's a lack of representation in the industry. We all know that. And for me, I'm one person, but how, how can I help that? So um, I was like, okay, maybe I can create something for black and brown students who are studying to enter the fashion and footwear industry, whether it's through product design, graphic design, you know, um, fashion merchandising or apparel design. How can we support them financially? So um, during quarantine, I was doing a lot of paintings and I started to sell them because people were interested. And I'm like, all right, I'll take this money and I'll use that to start my fund. So um I was super vocal about it. I think I was on an African-American footwear call and so many people were connecting with me after that. And after that, I had my first sponsor. Um, and from there, it kind of just really blew up to people really supporting me. So, um, well, not supporting me, it's supporting the cause. You know, we're here to support black and brown students so that they can filter, you know, enter this industry and really be um, present. So um, yeah, that's the purpose of the of the scholarship to f um, support them financially. But I also want to cultivate like a mentorship relationship. So um, I've been really reaching out to my network to see who would be interested in this kind of thing. So you know, I'm going to be launching a mentor directory where students can have accessibility to people who are in industry, whether it's corporate or freelance or whatever. You know, just to show them like the career possibilities that are available in this industry. I think you mentioned early on that you know your parents said, oh, you should be a lawyer or whatever because there's no money in footwear or, you know, in this kind of industry. But I want these students to have that accessibility, especially students who have strict strict parents who aren't aware of what, you know, that monetary value looks like on a salary in this industry, that they can connect with people who have jobs and understand, okay, this is what I like. Maybe my likes and my passions can take me in this career route. So that's the overall um, point of it. Um, and for me, it just tied back to me personally because as I mentioned before, I have been the only black girl in these spaces. And I remember my senior year of college, 
you know, I was so involved in school. I was a start leader, a start leader, which was like an orientation leader to the freshmen. Um, you know, I brought publicity to the school through different um, competitions and things. But I remember my senior year, I didn't have enough money um, to pay for like the last half of my um, tuition. And they, you know, I went to the financial aid office and they suggested that I take the semester off. And I'm like, huh. sis, I made it this far. And you telling me to take the semester off and say if, you know, you know how they stereotype the black and brown community to, you know, these whatever stereotypes that they give us, say if I would have took the semester off, went home and like just, you know, did other things with my life. And not to say that people who do drop out of school, they, they don't find anything else great to do in their life. But just imagine if you had that support financially to keep mm -hmm. going, you wouldn't be discouraged. And I think even people like Kanye West talked about how, you know, art school has always been so expensive. There's so many people who have been to art school and dropped out because they couldn't afford it. Um, and that shouldn't be a thing because these companies who are recruiting are number one looking at colleges, but they should also look at the local talent to people who haven't been to school because there's that talent there too. They just couldn't afford to finish school, you know? So that's my overall like passion for this. And I'm so, so grateful to see how it's grown. We were just featured in the Business Insider um, in October. So for me, I'm like, wow, nice. I was so nervous and passive about starting this off. And here it is three months later. And it's like, there was a purpose. There was a reason for doing this and people want to support the cause. If we're... Let's say we're 10 years down the road um, and you're looking back, what does success look like for the scholarship program? What, what does that look like in your head? Mm, so for me, I see 10 years from now, just really number one, looking at the numbers. When you look at the, the industry, I want to make sure that what we started in 2020 really impacted the numbers of what you see in terms of talent in these four walls of like the Adidas, the Nike, the Timberland, and see at that level who are entering these spaces because they were able to continue on with their degree. So that's the first thing for me. I really want to address the whole lack of representation in our industry. That's success for me. And then secondly, it's just, you know, how many people were able to um, impact. You know, I did an interview of all these students last month and, you know, the seven students that were awarded having you know being on the call with them it was so empowering you know some of them were crying about receiving the you know the scholarship and you know i think that alone was super impactful so that success story of you know having you know numerous amount of students that you are able to support for a semester or for however and then also connecting them with somebody you know a mentor who can play a big part in how their future pans out for me that's a success story i love that I'm looking forward to seeing 10 years, even a year from now, um, where the scholarship program looks or is and how many lives you've impacted. But I think before we, we get into the final questions, I have one other question and it's based off the scholarship program. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you have someone um, within the program that you were just talking to about connections. Mm -hmm. And it seems like throughout your entire journey that you outlined before, that connections were instrumental uh, in your journey. So what about connections were so big to you? And, and how were you able to cultivate these relationships and maintain these relationships throughout your journey? I think, you know, relationships and connecting is so important, whether the intention is, you know, to do it for career or personal, I think it's so important. 
for me personally to look at Alicia without a nine to five, I'm a talkative person. I'm very outgoing. So it's not that hard for me to hold on to relationships because I really value, you know, personal one to one relationships. I really do. Um, so for me, I think combining that with my um uh, I guess my ambition that really helped support me and put me to where I am now, because I feel like when you apply for big jobs, sometimes if you don't know anybody in the company, sometimes your resume just goes into a portal and not to say, I don't want to say that in a discouraging way, guys still apply for stuff. But sometimes if you know somebody who can vouch for you as a reference, who, you know, who are in the industry, maybe 10 years more than you, that whole, you know, reference and that connecting point, that's that's really crucial. Like, I, I believe in keeping good relationships with people and not burning bridges because you never know how people can support you, whether it's through your career or your personal life. You have no idea. So um, relationships and connecting with people is so important to me. It's without relationships, I, I don't to be honest, I don't think a lot of people that are in. Uh, I guess positions of power mm -hmm. won't be where they are. And mm -hmm. like this podcast wouldn't be where it's at without relationships. So I love that. I, I think that it's, it's extremely important to be able to not only maintain those relationships, but make new connections throughout mm -hmm. your journey. Um, because I mean, if I didn't try it, or if you didn't try to make any new connections throughout your journey, you'd still be talking to the same group of people <laughs> and everything like that. And I think it's it's extremely important to kind of get out of the bubble that you grew up in and, and learn something about the world. Mm -hmm. But when it's all said and done, Alicia, what, what impact do you want to ha leave on the world? Oh, that's such a big question. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I guess, I'm really big on energy and like, you know, making sure that people feel heard and seen. So I just want to make sure that, you know, any realm that I that I was in or any relationship that I had with anybody, I just want to make sure that they felt a good positive vibe, you know, and then also I want to make sure that they felt heard, you know, like there was somebody who was a good listener, who supported them, who encouraged them. Like, I'm all about that love and light. I really am. And, you know, I'm a cheesy, smiling person. I'm always smiling. I can't help it. It's my default face. But that's the impression that I want to leave. <laughs> that's the impression that I want to leave on the world. I just want people to feel loved and seen and heard, you know? <laughs> We're all humans at the end of the day. That's This is so cheesy, but I think that's a <laughs> testament to who I am. I can be such a cheesy person. <laughs> <laughs> you are fine. So if if people want to find out more or follow your journey or find out more about the scholarship program, where where can they find out more about you and in the program itself? Okay. So the program itself, um, we have a website called blacktalentfund.com, which is also um the Instagram handle Black Talent Fund. Um and then my personal um Instagram account is uh love underscore P I N C K. Um, and yeah, I don't really have a personal versus professional because I feel like my life is kind of merged and I'm not really afraid to show who I am. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, Alicia, I appreciate you jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. I think um, in the near future, we're going to have to get you on again. Uh, maybe it's a year from now to talk about the program and see where, where everything is and everything like that. You know, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I'm happy to have met you. I feel like this year was a year like I really expanded my network because of these for unfortunate circumstances. But, you know, it's been great. It really has been. And I'm really honored to be a part of this conversation. Awesome. Thank you.
Yo, thanks for listening to today's episode. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the Strange on Purpose podcast. And if you haven't already, please review the podcast. It helps me a ton. Subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Strange on Purpose.